Welcome to Lights at the End of the Tunnel, a place where we shine a light on, rant, complain, and try to find solutions about the MGA. After all, we are all in these tin cans together. Welcome back to Lights at the End of the Tunnel. Glad to have you back. Episode 28. Recorded April 27th, 2019. On this episode, I speak with Jose Martinez. Some of you may know Jose Martinez. He is currently the transit reporter for the city. The city is a recently launched independent nonprofit news outlet dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York City. Prior to the city, Jose was transit reporter for New York One. Prior to New York One, he was a court reporter for the New York Daily News and the New York Post. From live tweeting the board meetings or the greatest day of the month to posting pics of dogs on the subway for his puppers of the subway threads, he definitely has a presence in the transit community. On Thursday, April 25th, Jose and I met, and on this episode, we discussed the L-Train situation, which does start this weekend, by the way, accessibility, fair fares, buses, accountability, congestion pricing, and so many other pressing issues. After my interview with Jose Martinez, I will speak on what we learned from Jose and my thoughts on what we learned from him. Following my summary, I will have contact information for Jose Martinez and myself. Please listen to what Jose has to say. He has spent years reporting on the MTA and really does have a unique perspective. Please enjoy. Today I'm speaking with Jose Martinez. Some of you may know Jose Martinez. He is currently transit reporter for the city. The city is a recently launched independent nonprofit news outlet dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York City. Prior to the city, Jose was transit reporter for New York One. Prior to New York One, he was a court reporter for the New York Daily News and the New York Post. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm glad we finally were able to do this, uh, and thank you for such a nice intro. I've been around, uh, done a little bit of everything. Almost 20 years in newspapers, uh, six years in television, and now jumping over to the city, which is very exciting. It's a new type of journalistic venture, uh, small but hopefully strong with what we're doing, and I'm covering transit, and uh, anyone who rides the subway knows that there's no shortage of stories to or cover, buses. so we're, we're off and running here. Or the buses, we'll talk about the buses, the buses as well. One thing New Yorkers can agree on is that the MTA is in a state of critical condition. It needs to be talked about, hence the podcast. It needs to be said out loud. That way they can hear it and deal with it. I wanted to speak with you because as a transit reporter, you have to pay attention to what is happening at all times. From live tweeting, the board meetings, or the greatest day of the month. As I call it, that's the hashtag. To the puppers of the subway. You have a unique view of the entire situation. I think I spend probably too much of my life in the subway, but you know, at least now that I'm, I'm not working in television anymore, at least I'm not carrying 40 pounds of gear, and I'll be repeating that a lot, especially in the summer months, but it is a fascinating beat. It is quite a world, and in the six years that I've been on the beat, you know, I, a lot has happened. Uh, it's gone into, as you said, a state of crisis. It was a, a slow regression of gains that were made over many years, and now we're having to contend with it. Uh, the riders on the buses, the riders on the subway, the people that run the MTA, it's a heck of a challenge that they have in front of them. But as a reporter, I never have any shortage of things to look at, to dig into, and, and here at the city, uh, thankfully we have the chance to get in and, and do some meteor stories which are important to the people. Look, six million people, close to six million people use the subway every day. About one and a half million use the buses every day. If the transit system doesn't work, we're all in trouble. It's bad for the economy. It's bad for uh, the people just trying to get to work. Uh, as I was telling you before we started rolling here, as a rule, I try not to go anywhere on weekends because the service is so problematic. Yeah. And I understand they have to 
do the work at that time, but it does make things if difficult. If they had maintained it over the years and did proper maintenance over the years and didn't defer maintenance and such, we wouldn't probably be in this predicament. That's, I, that's what they're up against. It's, I, it's decades of deferment. It's, it's decades of... The black hole of uh, Yeah, and, and it's just the, the political will hasn't been there to uh, force things to be done that needed to be done. And, and now there's that price to be paid. Well, I've said it a million times before. If the subway dies, the city dies. Because the city became this this center of finance and culture and, and social because of the subway, the ability to move people quickly and efficiently. And if the city dies, the state dies. You need look no further than fascinating old photos, which I've seen many times and which I, I put on the air many times when I was at New York One, of Queens before the number seven line was built. It's called the cornfields. It was a, it was farmland. It's really, it's fascinating. And you go there now, it's like, oh, well, it's, it's quite different, you know? That's, that was only 100 years ago. Yeah, not that long ago. And look what's happened since then. And also look at the, the latest extension of the seven, Hudson Yards, a city within a city, uh, largely driven by uh, the opening in 2015 of that new seven train station. So and leaks within days of it opening. Leaks within days of it opening. Escalators, <laughs> as I've reported <laughs> it a bunch work. of times here at the right city. Right now, the that escalators don't work. aren't working. Yeah. But let's get to the, one of the biggest elephants in the room right now, which is the L train situation, the kerfuffle, the disaster waiting to happen that some people are calling it. Well, um, I'm glad I'm not on the L, but, but yeah. I would have told you that five years ago. I would have told you that 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not on the L. Everything that goes along with it, for starters, the fact that everything Cuomo did with these academics who swooped in at the last minute was done in secret. He went into the tunnel, in December, and I just thought it was his annual, like, I'm gonna take pictures of myself in a windbreaker pointing at things, and you know, we'll, we'll leave it alone. And then like six weeks later, whatever it was, he had this press conference. It, you know, Farrah didn't know about it, Byford didn't know about it, his own board didn't know about it, and he just decided to do this thing. It really came as a surprise. Uh, as I recall, that was a, a week where the board met, so it was, uh, the greatest day of the month uh, for, for me and for my fellow scribes on the on the transit beat. And if I, if I recall correctly, the governor went on the radio and said, I'm going to go into the L train tunnel and we're going to put some fresh eyes on this. That's a phrase that Governor Cuomo likes to use a lot. So on a Thursday night uh, into the tunnel he goes. And I, I, I recall it very well because I, I was there... Uh, waiting for him to go into the tunnel right around midnight. He came out around well, 1.30 a.m. or so and uh, said his piece, said, in three weeks we'll let you know if there is an option here other than what had at that point been planned for several years, which was going to be a 15-month shutdown of that line from 14th Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan to Bedford Avenue. And it, uh, three weeks later, sure enough, he, he upended the whole thing, uh, has come up through the assistance of the deans of the Cornell and Columbia Engineering Schools with a plan that doesn't require as extensive uh, a shutdown. It doesn't require as much dismantling of a bench wall. It really did turn on its ear the whole plan. And I, I know for a fact from having spoken to several people inside the MTA that uh, it really uh, put a lot of pressure on the MTA. They had been planning this for a long time. Now they have to... Community engagement and mitigation plans. And, and, and planning for other work elsewhere in the system, which now like has and, to be affected. Yes, so, uh, and, and then the city transportation department is involved with this too, you know, in planning for buses on 14th Street and planning for new bike lanes on 12th and 13th Street. So it really did uh, throw quite a wrinkle in the plans and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because you're talking about a line that serves more than 400,000 people. You're talking about a line that just between Manhattan and Brooklyn has more than 250,000 riders daily. It's a, it's a very crowded line. It does, I will give the L credit, uh, it does run fairly frequently because it has 
the newest signal technology. But uh, this is going to be a big challenge, and it's it's no longer just what a former MTA chairman described as the biggest capital project in the agency's history. It, it now becomes a um, challenge to see whether they can make this new technology work. My concern, and this has been my concern from the beginning, it's nothing against these academics, but the, they have not spent time in the tunnels. They don't do construction per se. And it's an experiment run on, it never been done in America. It's been done on younger tunnels in other cities. I mean, this is a hundred year old tunnel under a river. I, it, I'm, and, I'm, and one of the things that I'm was... A, I'm a safety girl, seatbelts and motorcycle helmets, you know? <laughs> so all of this is just, I don't ride the yellow train a lot, but I know a lot of people who do. And I know a lot of people are concerned about the safety of the situation, the silica dust, the structure of it, given how it was, you know, really battered by Sandy. And I personally, I would think it's like, and plus I read a few places where people on the inside was like, this might give you 20 years of new life and then you have to replace it anyway. Whereas right. replacing it entirely would have given you 50, 60 years of life. Uh, that's one of the big concerns from people who were involved with the plan initially saying that when you go in and you do work, it's inevitable that you'll find something else. So now they have the pressure to get this done on nights and weekends instead of having a full-time shutdown. And you know, when I talk about a full-time shutdown, let's let's look at what was done on the Montague Tunnel uh, after Which Hurricane early, Sandy. That one was done in about 14 months. It was a full-time shutdown. Uh, riders on the R, like yourself, had the opportunity to transfer at other points in downtown Brooklyn. There are other transfer points. The L, uh, that that's it's not as uh, easy to transfer on the other points. You know, Livonia on the three uh, at, at uh, that station in Brownsville, or you can at Broadway Junction, you can go on to the A and the C or the J and the M. There's other spots uh, further, closer to Manhattan where you can jump on the other lines. And then you can do the transfer, uh, the G over to Court Square to go on to the E or the 7. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, it puts pressure on other lines, this work, uh, and that's what the MTA has encouraged, that riders go to other lines, they're hoping that it all works. I guess we'll find out, won't we? Well, there's also the, with the full shutdown, you know what your alternatives are, and you just go to your alternatives every day. You know what they are, and if there's a problem with that, you go to your next alternative. The problem with this is there's no guarantee of it actually being there the next day. We know how those work trains are. They're 60 years old and diesel run and they break down all the time and they have to get someone to tow the thing out. Sure. So that's I, a concern I, that a lot of other people have too. I, I, I had a story recently in the city that uh, I was able to get internal reports of all the breakdowns that occur on work trains and just point out that, well, that's going to be a factor here potentially because work trains have to be positioned nightly around 8 p.m. and service starts to slow down then you have to have them out of the way by 5 the next morning so that you don't wreck a rush hour. So it does not It does have the potential for uh, some problems, uh, but the MTA says work train disruptions will be minimal. They are publicly uh, putting their support into the plan that was uh, put forth by the academics and sold by Governor Cuomo, and here we go. And here we go. Well, um, let's talk about the greatest day of the month, the huh. board meetings. For me and about, uh, <laughs> oh, maybe seven people on my, on my Twitter feed who get the joke, but uh, listen, I've been covering those meetings for six years. I've only missed one, and I was out sick, and I, and I watched it at home that day, and there's something to be said for, for that being part of the illness. <laughs> But I, I enjoy it, you know. These are uh, this is democracy in action in some way, uh, where you get in a rather drawn out and dry and dreadfully boring fashion a look at how the Metropolitan Transportation Authority works, uh, from the commuter railroads to the buses and the subways to its finances to its capital projects. I I get a kick out of it, uh, and once a month. Uh, or twice a month, really, if you count the board meeting. I call that version 2.0 of uh, hashtag TGDOTM. Um, 
there's there's always news that comes out of there. It's fascinating, and it just shows you the importance of the transportation system here in the New York region, and and also, and this is where I've you know perhaps get a little jokey at times, just how fascinated people are with it. You get the regulars that turn out there. We all know each other, and they are, you can count on it. It's, it's clockwork. You're going to see 80-something-year-old Murray Bowden show up and make speeches. Uh, you're going to see these two young men, uh, Jason and Omar, who I call the, the tag team champions of the public speaking session, show up and, and make some really you know sharp insights about the transit system. And then about maybe once or twice a year, you're going to get the mysterious Mr. X show up in sunglasses and he's going to turn up the heat in the room and make inappropriate comments. He's going to make pro wrestling references. Uh, some of us in the room will laugh. Uh, many will be offended. Uh, but that's all part of the magic of, of those meetings. I mean, how do you sit... Sometimes I, I, when you're live tweeting them and other people are live tweeting like Dan and stuff, I, I, it's like, how do you not just start yelling at them going, that's not how this works. Like with Mr. Schwartz... <laughs> actually asked out loud how buses work because he doesn't understand how buses work and he's a board member he's been there for years it should be said he, he lives outside of the like city he has so free metro cards he should know and plus i think it should be a requirement that board members know how mass transit works and be forced to take it there are some who really know their stuff on that board I, know and some I, I give them give them all the credit in the world for being as engaged and uh active in the operations of the place, and there are others who sometimes you just want to shake your heads and say, what's going on here? Uh, but um, at this point, uh, look, I haven't been appointed to the MTA board, nor am I going to be the chairman, so I'll sit back and look at it from a reporter's perspective and just say that I really do think there's a lot to be gained from those documents. Mm -hmm. There's all types of data in there that explains line by line, uh, bus route by bus route, elevator and every elevator and every escalator uh, in the system. It gives you some sort of perspective as to how things are working. And uh, it's marvels the kind of that anything does work. A lot of times it does. Yeah, it does that, not work. It does not work. But yeah. what does work? It's such a huge system and has been around for so long. It's kind of it's an engineering marvel that it still works. Well, given the, that everything is old. There's a there's a great. So old. There's a great YouTube clip, which you should look up on, on the, the MTA. Is it the CTBC it, one? No, no. It's, it's called, there's a whole series of them, but I think it's called The Daily Miracle. Oh. And it explains in this fantastic film, it has to be from the 1940s, black and white, real, uh, just how the system works. What's remarkable uh, is that a lot of the uh, equipment from that time is, is still in some way in use obviously things get refurbished things get replaced but this is a system more than 110 years old and that it runs i do consider uh the subway a, a marvel i really do i i respect everything that goes into operating the thing into keeping it going uh i've i've been in signal repair shops where you have workers who are quite literally recreating pieces that are no longer manufactured because they're just so old. And uh, I, I've been on the tracks many, many times late at night uh, with a camera and you look at some of this stuff and they pull out the wires and they're uh, replacing things and, and, and upgrading signals and, and you think to yourself, like, this is really remarkable it is. that it runs as well as it should, which I'm sure <laughs> many New Yorkers would say is, is not uh, well enough. But think about it. This is the one of the oldest systems in the world, mm -hmm. along with London's and, and, and Boston's is also quite old. Boston is about seven years older. A than little us. older than ours, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we should be grateful that the people who built the original system took tremendous pride in what they did. It it somehow all makes sense too when you consider that these are systems that were built independently of each other, uh, and then That's they true. were. They were all united, and on the map it might look like spaghetti, but somehow it makes sense, and somehow millions of people use it every day. True. Remarkable. I really do think that. It is.
Let's talk about the mayor and how he handles transit. Last week he had a news conference regarding buses and how he intends to make them move minutes faster in 2020. And then yesterday, you know, the whole 14th Street reducing private vehicles, which is good news, moving buses to the center lane along with trucks, which, you know, is good. We've, people, bike advocates and transit advocates have been pushing for that for a long time now. Better late than never, I guess. But he hasn't been really, I don't want to say he's not interested, but at the same time, he doesn't show a lot of interest in transit. I he, he will, or he has, I should say, uh, of, of late, he's used his bully pulpit a little bit more. But for the first several years of his administration, Mayor de Blasio had a stock line. And if I used it as a soundbite once, I used it as a soundbite ten times, where he said... The MTA is the state's business. It was his way of saying, that's not my baby. He wanted uh, as little as possible to uh, do with Subway. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, he points out that it was the state's, and that the city gives enough money, and that was enough for him. And a lot of transit advocates were critical of Mayor de Blasio for not making enough use of his bully pulpit to... to really beat the governor over the head with the point that the subway is not performing as it should. This affects everyone. Let's do something here. And instead, what we got was, and I've seen this way too many times, we got a long fight over the funding of the MTA's last capital program. Took forever to get that thing squared away. They finally came to peace on a Saturday afternoon and spoiled uh, what would have been an escape out of town. I was five minutes away from getting out of town. Uh, they made peace. I canceled the trip. I went to uh, the station, shot a story, shot a special show that night, and thank you very much, Governor and Mayor. Then after that, as if that weren't enough, the, the, the governor and the mayor then spent a good amount of time squabbling over how to pay for uh, what was known as the Subway Action Plan, which was uh, introduced back uh, in the, the MTA's so-called summer of hell. So a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of airspace and is, is devoted to this political squabbling yeah, and, 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 and what many will call posturing instead of them perhaps putting their head together, we, which they did on congestion pricing. Which they did, but it's just, I find it interesting, I say that Andrew Cuomo has slight um, situational amnesia because his dad was governor and the subway was in the first crisis, like a very severe crisis when he became governor. Now he did not have a good relationship with Mayor Koch at all. They, they were constantly fought about stuff, but they managed to get it together. I talked to Sal Albanese about it and he, and he brought up the fact that they worked together and fixed it together. Sure. They came and up with a plan and fixed it together. And it was and in like those... This, this, this back and forth between the two doesn't help any of us. And I know sometimes they can get it together, but more often not. They, they, they not. did They did on congestion pricing, but uh, that really is, you know, a case where the Blasio fought congestion pricing saw for, for many years referred to it as a, as a tax. And then, you know, boom, he's come around on it has found religion on congestion well, pricing. Maybe he got tired of being called build the buses slow on Twitter. <laughs> that's not, that's not, that's I not one I, I used. I wish I came up with that, but I didn't, I didn't come up with that. But uh, they've, they've found common ground on that at least, but there really has been a lot of time, and any transit reporter uh, that's been around for a while would tell you that it just gets old. Yeah. It really does get old. The... It's all part of the, the whole thing. We all get it. But so much time is spent on political feuding. And in the meantime, the MTA's debt grows. The, uh, the, 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 the quality of the system uh, continues to slide. And look, they couldn't get it together on an $840 million plan of short-term fixes. So... For them to get it together on congestion pricing, and they will have to do this again on the MTA's next capital program, it's a challenge. It is, is a real it? challenge. That's due next year, right? 
It is supposed to be, right, it's uh, the 2020 plan going in for the next five years. It's supposed, it's taking shape now and it's supposed to, you know, be unveiled at some point. And that will then set off a, a long dance of uh, advocates calling for the thing to be funded, however it will be funded, be it by federal money or the state or the city, again, upping its contribution. Uh, it will take many forms. I just last week had a story that looked back at uh, an elevator from the 2010 to 2014 plan that still hasn't been installed. Yeah, the elevator situation is ridiculous. I mean, for, I mean, less than twenty-five percent are have elevators of subway stations, right? And we great. recently lost somebody, Malaysia Goodson, because she fell downstairs carrying her daughter. She was found to have a medical condition by the by the medical examiner, but that is the her case that she disputing she that. she did she did they they are disputing that, <laughs> but the um, but it, it couldn't end result. Yeah, with her falling down. It is 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 a fatality, which you never want in the subway system. And also, it, it, it casts attention on uh, the issue of accessibility. So that story that I did for the city uh, last week was about how, or it was this week actually, uh, this project has been on the books now. They've been talking about it since the mid-2000s. All right, now it's 2019, and the price has doubled, and the elevator on the street is still not there. It uh, is one of those that people will shake their head at and say, what is happening here? Uh, but it's, it's no easy thing for uh, people to get around if they are carrying a baby stroller. It's no easy thing for someone to get around if they're on crutches or in a wheelchair. Uh, this is a very important issue. It's not going away either. No, it's not. And from your story, it seems like there's a community board not deciding that's pretty enough or something. There were... It's just like, I find it interesting how the MTA sometimes is like caves to community boards based on the communities that don't really use mass transit a lot. There were people on what was described as a, a pristine area, and yeah, it's East 68th Street. It's not, it's, there's no, I just want to, when I read it, it's like, honey, there's nothing pristine in this city. <laughs> Well, the Upper East Side, you know, it's they very just nice. there, there, there was very, some opposition it's there, very nice. and it's it, it's it's made for a really long, drawn-out battle to install this thing, and and it is still on the books, but it's one of the MTA's 100 key stations. It's supposed to be built by 2020. If not, the MTA could potentially lose some federal money, uh, face some sort of sanction. But they're not going to make that deadline. But the contract will go out. The contracts will go out later this year. And the hope is that this will finally, finally move forward. Uh, you could easily insert a joke here about it's just another delay, but I won't do that. <laughs> I think I just did. Well, what are your thoughts on the current upgrades to the bus routes? Because they're from the 40s and they model the trolley routes. Well, the MTA has been praised for uh, the efforts to uh, reconfigure uh, the bus routes all over the city in all five boroughs. And it, it started this rollout on Staten Island, where I believe it was last summer, uh, the express bus routes were changed. The, mind you, the local routes haven't yet been completely reconfigured, but it's now going into the Bronx. It will then go into Queens. And this is something that uh, is probably a wise move by the MTA when you consider fewer people are using buses, uh, when you consider that, you know, maybe these routes don't go where the people are, where when they were designed so many decades ago, Plus buildings things were a little different. Buildings are, are the no longer there that were there, you know, 60 years ago, and buildings now are where there weren't buildings before. Right. So they need to, you know... Work that out. And, and and there will be growing pains because there was issues with Staten Island. Oh, sure. So Staten Island, there was... Uh, people walking across streets that didn't have... Quite the revolt from, from riders. Uh, seems seems to have straightened out a little bit yeah. there in terms of the, the, the volume's been turned down. But, uh, you know, good on the MTA for trying to make right with these bus redesigns. And, look, it's, it's commuting in New York... Uh, <laughs> 
there will always be grumbling. So yeah. look forward to that too in the Bronx. Look forward to it in the, in Queens when those routes get redesigned. What are your thoughts on the mayor's obsession with ferries? I mean, they're they're nice. I've you, I've ridden the ferries many times, and 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 most of the trips I've taken have been with with cameras. So. I sure do enjoy the views. They're beautiful. I've ridden them out of Red Hook. I've ridden them out of Bay Ridge, out of the Rockaways, out of the Bronx. So I've, I've been on all of them. Um, I like the ferries. But there are some built-in issues, and, and my colleague here at the city, Rosa Goldenson, has uh, written extensively on some of those issues with the ferries, uh, particularly the amount of money that the city has spent on uh, a fleet that largely is disconnected from the transit system. It requires it a it separate fare. Yeah, so it does. No free, so there's no free transfer. Even correct. So for some people, it's a, it's a two-fare zone, as, as, uh, to use an old uh, term that you don't hear all that often anymore. So it's problematic. And then the, the subsidies have been criticized. Uh, the, the Citizens Budget Commission just came out with a, with a really stinging report uh, on that, on just how much the city has spent on it. $325 million, and the city subsidy is $24.75 per person. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's, again, it's, it's a lovely way to commute if you're living in a glass box on the waterfront. Um, I don't know uh, that it's uh, going to be palatable for people who have to pay two fares if you're commuting, say, uh, from the Soundview slip in, in the Bronx, and then you got to go and get to East 34th Street and then get on a M34 bus to go across town. Great if you work on Wall Street or in the financial district. Great if you work at one of the hospitals on the waterfront. Uh, otherwise, you're paying two fares. And it's just, I've described it as, as niche transit, not mass transit. It is just something so separate from uh, the, the mass transit system that moves millions of people every day. Uh, you know, good on, on, on NYC Ferry for its ridership, but consider also that a lot of that is, you know, pleasure cruising and, and tourists who are in town and just want to enjoy the nice views. What are your thoughts on Speaker Johnson's proposal for the city to take over subways buses? Well, I think he's going to run for mayor, and that that's well, he's already kind of interim mayor when the mayor's on field trips. <laughs> and he, you know, uses that as the it's Iowa it's 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 a good issue on which to uh, launch uh, your 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 prospective mayoral candidacy. Mind you, it, it it's been floated this whole notion of having the city take over New York City Transit. That's the buses and the subways. That's been floated before. Um, I, I remember Anthony Weiner, of all people, talking about doing this uh, at, a, at a 2013 forum for mayoral candidates. Uh, it's, it's been out there before. But Johnson, to his credit, came up with a, a pretty deep and thorough examination of why and, and a defense of why the city should uh, control its subways and buses. And we'll see if it goes anywhere. You know, it obviously faces a lot of hurdles in Albany, if it were to go anywhere. But he is uh, going to plant the flag on that one and, and, and see where it takes him. He certainly did his homework, and it's a really good report. So if you, anyone hasn't read it yet, you should definitely read it. Yeah, it's 107 if, pages. If you've got the time, yeah. But a lot of it is, you know, there's you know pictures in there. so you know, you mostly, can, mostly pictures of him riding the subway. Most of him looking plaintively at a window. Yeah. <laughs> Here. Standing by himself on empty platforms. If, if, if my but if you if you like looking at pictures of Corey Johnson and who doesn't, it's all there for you. And nice graphs. You got. I think my I think the nickname I gave Johnson on on Twitter was uh, Corey. I take pictures of myself every time I ride the subway, Johnson, which is. I think it's great though. I, I, I think it, it pales in comparison to. Fernando, I ride the subway every day for rare. And which which train did he take every day? Oh, Freddie would just tell you I ride the he he would tell you I, I ride the subway every day. He lives in, in Riverdale, so he's a, a one train rider. And then at his last meeting, he said I I, I rode, today I rode Metro North, so I had to change his nickname to uh, you know, 
no longer I ride the subway every day to Fernando, I ride Metro North once in a while, Ferrer. <laughs> Let's talk money. Let's talk about how the MTA gets money, spends money, loses money, displaces money, wastes money. And one of those reasons is because there's no oversight at its state level. Well, it has a massive budget. It has a massive budget and it's just an enormous organization tasked with bridges, tunnels, with buses, subways, with commuter rails that extend all the way into another state. So it's no small thing uh, to run the MTA. And as a result, things can get uh, clunky in managing such a mammoth organization. It really is a, a beast that in many ways can't be tamed. Yeah, but you know, you have all these rando contractors coming in to tell them not how to waste money, and that was what, $2.3 million, that contractor? <laughs> and then you've got the contractors who are deep cleaning the stations because apparently they have techniques that, and tools that the MTA doesn't have. That was the defense. And you've got your genius challenges because apparently no one in the MTA proper can figure out how to fix it, so you have to bring other people in and give them you know, a million dollars to come up with an idea because they can't do it themselves. It, it is an astonishing... There's arrows on the floor. Yes. Because that's, that, I find those condescending. I'm sorry. It's like, we know how to board and d disembark. Yeah, I, I went back and looked so. at two years of... Uh, or more, more, more or less about two years of contracts and find some of the... Uh, expenses from uh, the state of emergency, which, by the way, we're still in almost two years later. And it was fascinating to but go and no see. But there's no real definition of a state of emergency. And there's no definition of what a state of good repair is. That's another problem I have. It's like all this money comes in, but there's no, there's no clear oversight and no definition of what a state of good repair is. So the, the emergency stays, money keeps coming, and it's spent on things that aren't necessarily what you would consider emergencies. That's correct. I just want yeah. the trains to run, man. And I, if you can figure out a way to get that You're not money alone to move in that it, one. I, no, I'm fine. But, you know, the fact that they had to pay consultant fee, consultants to come in to tell them how not to waste money speaks volumes about this organization. And that's all part of the uh, reorganization of the MTA uh, story that I, I did uh, a couple weeks ago on this contract for this uh, agency whose task it is to overhaul how things work. So they're gonna look at cutting expenses, they're gonna look at how to make it a little leaner, uh, but there, there could be uh, a fallout there in terms of uh, other ways that they tighten the belt. Uh, so that will be interesting to see, uh, but that's gonna be taking shape. And this is, this is a mandate from the governor uh, to Reform but he's not in MTA. charge, though. He, he keeps telling you that he's not in charge, though. But for someone who's not in charge of it, he certainly can, you know, just move mountains when he needs to. Oh, he got those elevators running at the Second Avenue subway yeah. and got that open in time. He, well, did, the governor, and it opened with thousands of deep, uh, fire alarm defects where they just had guys in vests looking for fires. The, the the governor, you know, he a lot of times will step right up and say, "This is mine." Uh, well, yeah. When he and then ride, there are other times. A very clean train on you know New Year's Eve. Yeah, the cleanest are... train that's ever been that's ever been ridden through the subway. I, I was All friends with Apple iPods and fur coats. I was there that night. That was something else, you know. I was. How, how did the train smell? Did it smell nice? It it did. It did. <laughs> they, they they had the new station smell. Yeah. Um, and. What train did you ride? That was that was a Q train. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe we started at 72nd Street, rode up to 96. Uh, if I recall correctly, we got at each station we would get out and you know check out the new stations. This was on New Year's Eve, and uh, and then eventually it went back to uh, 72nd Street, and they, they, where they had had uh, you know a, a toast. It was really something else. Uh, I was back at the at that station the next morning after getting about five hours of sleep and. Yeah, that was that was a fun day. That really was. It's not something you see in New York every day. Uh, in in the time I've been on the beat, I've seen four stations open. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, but you know, also the stations have been expensive. Uh, they've been uh, 
far more limited than what other cities and systems have built uh, in that time frame. So there, there needs to be more expansion. Billions over and years over. That's right. And, and it, it, it's, it's one of those things where uh, the MTA is criticized a lot for that. But it's, it's important. There's, there's no doubt that system expansion is important. Yeah, well, maybe they should expand it in Queens or in parts of the Bronx or South Brooklyn. I know they're revisiting Utica. There are some gaps. Yeah, that one has been Utica Avenue extension in Brooklyn, uh, where you have a terminal for one line. That was oh, that's that's been kicked around though for you know, decades, if not close to a century. The thought of building a subway down Utica Avenue. There's actually a book on that. Uh, Guy named Joe Raskin explores lines that yeah, were never um, built. I've, I've read um, I've read his book. He agreed to be on the podcast. I just need to read the book again to make sure that you know I got all my dates and times right. Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy to talk to. Uh, he knows his stuff. Does he worked at the MTA for a long time? I've read some other interviews that he's done. It's like I look forward to speaking with him. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. Joe is good. He's he's a nice fellow too. But the route's not taken. That's the book. Pick yes. Let's let's see if that ever gets built, though, because it's been talked about for two years in its most recent incarnation. The study is funded, and just now they're getting going on it. So, Let's talk congestion pricing. It passed. Now everyone's trying to get out of it. What are your thoughts on congestion pricing? How are we going to... I know that Dinowitz passed the, the, um, the lockbox in December, but how are we going to protect those monies that come in? That is, if we can get everybody to pay it, including New Jersey, because yeah. you should pay it, New Jersey. Isn't that something? I don't care what backroom deal you and the, the governor the probably worked out. The whole point down. of congestion pricing, uh, just, just in, just in its, its name alone, is to hit congestion. It's a positive thing. This is a good thing for people who can't move on city streets. I'm not a driver. I don't ever want to get behind the wheel of a car in Manhattan. I haven't had a car in New York for many years. I wouldn't want to because you don't, you don't, you don't go anywhere. I so, walked the bus. Yeah. So the, the whole point of it is to reduce congestion and at the same time put money into the transit system. But now, now that it's on the books for 2021, it seems that everybody and their mother wants to get out of this, to be carved out of it. To catch a break, if you're uh, law enforcement, if you're a resident of the great state of New Jersey, anyone is looking, for, or you have all these groups looking for a way out. Is that self-defeating? Is it uh, something that that sort of goes against the whole purpose here? I guess we'll find out. In, you know, once it actually takes effect, but. The whole goal also of putting money in the transit system is key. If you're giving discounts to people, are we just going back to the same problem? The transit system needs money. Do you think Fast Forward will ever get funded? Given that there have been you know, digs at it by the governor's office and other people. Almost, almost. Uh, which I find. Very soon after it was introduced, the, the governor was unhappy with the price tag that uh, uh, was put on the plan. So it's an important plan. It's a well thought out plan. Uh, I don't know that it ever gets funded, perhaps just in part piecemeal. But it, it also requires, never, never mind the, the, the political will. It also requires uh, the public buying into it. And by that, I mean the public has to accept that if you're going to have a modern uh, subway system, that's going to require a little bit of pain on the public's part. You have to accept that there may be full shutdowns. And the fact that the L, for instance, is not going to be a full shutdown should perhaps point to uh, ominously the possibility of doing full, large-scale signal I think we should shut down tunnels and sections. To be perfectly honest, this is what's going to have to happen. It's so old, and you're going to have to do a full shutdown and do a full workup of it. And the people hate that. That's been floated in the problem, by the Regional the Plan Association. It won't work on nights and weekends because it's just like the next day is going to be a mess anyway. It's better to... I know people hate it, but there are, you got to get your alternatives together because it's like... The, 
the switches and signals are 80 years old. The tunnels, some of them are 100 years old. You need just to get them refurbished and done so we can have another lovely 80 years or so. That requires, as, as Andy Byford, the head of New York City Transit, likes to say, uh, a willingness to bite the bullet. And I don't know that that's there among the public. I don't know that that's there among the political class. It is a heavy lift. And that's what makes it, uh, it's conceivable then that it could fall flat because it is such a heavy lift. Right. Coming right back to accessibility for a second, the Ride Hail app. It's very popular amongst those who are in the program. It's cheaper than Accessoride, but they can't guarantee its survival. It's like, it's popular, it works for those in the program, but they can't guarantee yeah, that it'll move this is This is one like, of those... But it's, but it's a good thing, and, they, and they're just like, well, I don't know. It's like, but it's good. Yeah, it's they, positive, the, and it's cheaper. The, the joke that Joe Rappaport, who's an advocate, longtime advocate for riders with disabilities out in Brooklyn, says that Accessoride is called Stressoride, mm -hmm. but that if you do this with this, this ride-hailing app, it becomes Successoride. And he says, how rare is this that people come to MTA meetings and sing the praises of a much-hated uh, transportation authority? This is, a, this is a positive thing, but the issue has been, of course, cost and figuring out the Accessoride program, which is and has been for a long time uh, a financial drain on the MTA, but it is absolutely required uh, for everyone to be able to get around move around as best they can. But this is definitely something that's been well received. Uh, I actually did a ride along with a, a woman from her home in Middle Village, Queens, several months ago. And it was pretty sharp because I got there, I was uh, setting up my camera and my tripod and just you punch your screen and then a few minutes later, a yellow taxi showed up right in front of her home. She took her wheelchair and was uh, assisted onto the cab and, and away we went to downtown Brooklyn. Uh, so the people that have used this are big fans and the MTA acknowledges it's it's been a success. The challenge, as is so often the case with matters of mass transit and moving people around, is how to make it work financially. Speaking of which, fair fares. What are your thoughts on um, do you think it does enough to help our low-income citizens? And what are your thoughts on the fact that it only covers seven-day and 30-day cards when those cards are prohibitively expensive to those where the fair fares is supposed to help? Well, there's another issue right there where, you know, I talked earlier about how the, the mayor uh, often couldn't find common ground with the MTA or the governor. This was another example where the, the, the push was to have City Hall uh, pay for fair fares to have City Hall take care of that bill. So it finally happened and was a little slow in getting rolled out. It's, uh, if, if memory serves correctly, just a trial program at this point. So we'll see how it goes. But it is in a city where uh, so many people are below the poverty line. It's, it's got to be a welcome thing. Uh, but it's not something that is funded for the long term. Right. So this will be something that is going to be a recurring issue to find the money to make it work. Let's talk about the morale on the trains. They're dirty, you know, they're deep cleaned every eight to 10 weeks. In December, as you know, when you were at one of the greatest days of the month, um, they were talking about cutting down on sweeping either at the beginning or the end of every line for cost cutting down on SBS service for cost, cutting down on AC in the summer and heating in the winter for cost. I know the R train was very cold this winter. Um, yet ESA, Eastside Access, and Second Avenue continue on, unfettered, billions of dollars in the hole. These are basics that just make things okay and make the trains tolerable. Do you think they realize that all of these things that they want to cut back on for costs are causing morale to just fall into a pit because it's, it's it's demoralizing underground a lot. Well, I, I think also that yes, people are, are clearly uh, dissatisfied uh, with with service, uh, but and I and I'm going to agree with uh, the former chairman of the MTA here, 
Joseph Loda, Joe 99 problems Loda, as I called him. Joe Loda, who promised that um, there would be no hot cars last summer, yet there were hot cars every day. No, and I, I, I rode one on the one this morning. I and rode I, one and on I the mentioned one this it morning. every time someone put it. I just said, Joe Loda said no hot cars this summer, and yet yeah. there's a hot car this summer, all summer long. But, you know, Loda <laughs> said something about how social media and the ability to communicate while you're underground uh, has a lot to do with perception of the MTA. And, and, and he said the, his hope was to eventually cut down on that. So yes, that can sometimes turn up the volume. Uh, and, and, and when you focus on your line or on your delay, it might seem amplified or the fact that the escalator at your station is not working. Uh, it's almost like getting a bullhorn and, and telling everyone the subway system stinks. But, but no one's lying. It, it's it, that that one little problem, you know, has a ripple effect and it carries uh, across the universe. It's like a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan and there's a hurricane on the east coast of the United States. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll go with that one. But yeah, it, it it's it's loud and it's not a good look when you have videos of oh, you know, really packed platforms or where you have you know, shots of people fanning themselves because there's no, uh, or there's a malfunctioning air conditioning unit in their subway car. Uh, th this is how the, the, the rise of social media, the great popularity of it, uh, amplifies all of this. So the MTA will tell you, as, as they did recently, um, that Service has gotten better. They've been telling us this now seven months running. And paired with these performance figures, which appear to be showing some sort of uptick in the quality of service, it's has been a decrease in the number of social media complaints. Okay. Let's Take that for what you will. It, well, you know, that was an average. They took an average of all lines. They didn't. They weren't looking at specific lines. It was just an average, and it's still a C plus if we were taking a test. So, as the voice of the R train, you will tell us. <laughs> it's not. It's. It's. You know. You could be doing better. Yeah. <laughs> you could be doing so much better. And as a, someone who rides the one train, uh, it's always hot. Quite frequently. Train. It's never. It's always hot in the summer on the one train. The one train has for years had the model of subway car whose air conditioning units break down uh, at a uh, high rate. That and a few cars that, of that same model that are on the number six line. So it's going to be an issue again as we head into the warmer months. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this, you know, look, I, I, I am no longer carrying a camera, so I'll no longer have to do like what I did last year, which was at the end of a 13, 14 hour day go and wait at 11 o'clock at night on a subway platform until I find the hot car. And how did I know it was a hot car? Because you saw everyone running from one car to the other or yeah. walking between cars while it was in the station. And I, and I called that the, uh, the hot car conga line. So <laughs> if, you, if you ride the number one line, get used to it uh, and hope that you're not joining the hot car conga line. In, in the coming months. But it is an issue, and it is a real issue, the, that the MTA has with those, that model of cars where they have to keep up with the maintenance on them. It's, it's uh, a problem they have to get control of because it's one that, again, on social media is flagged repeatedly uh, by people who are uncomfortable on subway cars. Okay, if you could have Andrew Cuomo, Bill de Blasio, Patrick Foy, and Andy Byford in a room, what would you tell them? Speaking strictly as someone, as, as, as a reporter, I, I, I would ask them, you know, why can't you find a way to make it work? Um, this is very important to your constituents, the people that you work for. What are you going to do to make it work? Okay. In our remaining moments, is there anything you'd like to share on the state of our transit system here in New York? Well, I, I marvel at it. I do. As I said earlier, I think it's remarkable. It's huge. Uh, but I also 
uh, as someone who speaks with people in the trains all the time, uh, understand the, the frustration and, and see the need for having a system that, that meets the needs of, of its riders. It's, uh, it's too important to the city and, and to the people that rely on it to have a system that uh, falls short. So it's good that we're focused on it. Uh, it's a positive that there's been a certain amount of pressure put on the political class on the uh, MTA to get its house in order uh, because it, it, it's you can't have a continued or not even a continued at this point but you cannot have regression you only have to tick upward uh, but it costs money it costs money and that's the trick uh, you don't want to bankrupt anyone and um, it's a heck of a challenge to to run this thing, I, I you know I always every time I would interview an MTA chairman, I'd, I'd say you know if the joke is that, that the old line is that the mayor of New York is the second toughest job in America, where is yours? And, 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 and invariably they would say, it's it's in there, you know, it's it's right there because trying to please a lot of people, and that's a heck of a challenge. The MTA services 15.3 million people. You've done your homework. I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thank you for your time, and I appreciate you being yeah. on the podcast. I'm glad we finally were able to do this, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again. Sure. Transit's an interesting beat, and hey, there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. That's true. All thank right. you. So what did we learn today from Jose Martinez? We learned a lot. He reiterated that the subway system is a modern marvel. It's huge and absurdly complicated, yet somehow, most of the time, it does get us to where we need to be, or at least close. Granted, not all the time, but most of the time. It's a giant behemoth that requires tons of attention and lots and lots of money. One thing we kept coming back to in our conversation is money and leadership. They go hand in hand. We need true, honest leadership from leaders who have our best interest at heart. The MTA receives billions without terms and conditions on where this money goes and how this money is spent. The legislature needs to do their job and hold regular oversight meetings. Ask where this money goes and what a state of good repair looks like. Jose wrote a great article on the fact that we are still currently in a state of emergency, a state of emergency that was declared in 2017 during the, quote, summer of hell, unquote. He pointed out in this article that not all the monies went to what we would consider emergency-type things, such as consultants and those uh, condescending arrows on the floor that show us how to board and disembark. In order for the MTA to become a functional agency, we need the governor, mayor, and legislature to dig deep and find real solutions provide real, regular oversight, and provide terms and conditions for how monies are spent, a definition of what a state of good repair is, and also questions as to why projects run years over and billions over budget. Then maybe once we get to this place of a state of good repair, we can once again be a marvel to the world. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the L train situation. This starts this weekend. How this project goes may determine other, how other large projects are done in this city in the future. All L train riders, when you experience serious issues of overcrowding and other safety issues, when you have serious time delays, work train stalls, or health issues, or you're concerned about health issues due to silica dust, call, tweet, 
snail mail, email, carrier pigeon, or skywrite to your electeds. That would be your borough president, your council person, your senator, your assembly person, your congressperson, and let them know about this issue you are experiencing. Hell, even reach out to Speaker Johnson, and he will show up and probably take a picture of himself looking plaintively out of a window on a stalled L train. And I don't say this to be disrespectful. I like Speaker Johnson, and he does ride the subway regularly, and we know this due to his camera roll. But seriously, the future of projects may be determined based on the outcome of the L train. While valuable lessons will be presented during this situation, will the lessons be learned? Or as Run DMC once wisely stated, the next time someone's teaching, why don't you get taught? While this is not an overtly political podcast, the MTA is a political organization run by the governor with occasional oversight by the legislature. So right now I'm going to encourage you to vote. If you have not registered to vote, please register to vote. I know we've had a major election just last November, but elections happen all the time, such as recently the public advocate special election and currently the election for the council seat vacated by Jamani Williams. And also, that person that you vote for on the school board probably has higher political aspirations that ultimately may impact you more than what textbook your child reads. And again, the MTA is a political organization run by the governor, with some board members selected by the governor and the mayor. You can pick up registration forms at any municipal office. You can call one eight six six V O T E. NYC, and they will send you a registration form, and you can mail it back. You can also register online. Go to Board of City Elections in the City of New York, and you can register there. As Bob Schieffer's mother used to say, go out and vote. It makes you feel big and strong. For those youngins who don't know Bob Schieffer, get your Google on and Google him. I used to watch him every Sunday morning on my Sunday morning nerd show, Face the Nation. Anyway, regardless... Go out and vote. That's it, everyone. Thank you for listening, and I hope that Jose Martinez and I give you something to think about and chew on. Remember, we're all in these tin cans together, and in order for this to work, we all have to participate. Or just be supportive and be in my amen corner. Here are some spots where you can reach out to Jose and myself. And as the Four Tops once said, reach out and I'll be there. Thank you to Jose Martinez for meeting with me. You can find Jose Martinez at The City, the website, thecity.nyc. His email is jmartinez at thecity.nyc. You can find Jose on Twitter at jmartinezNYC and The City at thecityny. Facebook, thecityny. Instagram, thecityny. Find me, email podcastsarah at gmail.com, and Sarah is with an H. This podcast is hosted on anchor.com. Find me on Twitter at exenezoom, that's E-X-E-N-E-Z-O-O-M, where I employ the hashtag HowsAndysCommute whenever I complain to the MTA about my miserable commute or your miserable commute. You're welcome. And of course, occasionally, service evasion and hashtag build the buses slow. Instagram, lights at the end of the tunnel, one big word. Facebook, lights at the end of the tunnel. SoundCloud, lights at the end of the tunnel. Spotify, lights at the end of the tunnel. Stitcher, lights at the end of the tunnel. Google Podcasts, lights at the end of the tunnel. Although this app, is only available for Android users. Breaker Social Podcasts, lights at the end of the tunnel. Radiopublic.com, lights at the end of the tunnel. Pocketcasts, lights at the end of the tunnel. Overcast, lights at the end of the tunnel. Castbox, lights at the end of the tunnel. 
thanks to Ox on the Roof for the intro music. Follow them on Twitter at OxRoofMusic. Also SoundCloud, Ox on the Roof, and Instagram, Ox on the Roof. So reach out and share. The only way for this to be successful is to work together. We need to shine a light so bright they can't ignore us. Shine brightly, everybody.